Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Bite Size podcast. I'm FPL Nemo and I'm joined by my co-host Clayton. We're here to review the Arsenal-Southampton game. Obviously ended 1-1, felt very much like two points dropped. Um, I think it was a frustrating weekend, um, definitely a disappointing result and performance. Um, but I'm sure we'll get into that as the show goes on. Um, are you still feeling uh, like yesterday or have you had a night's sleep to try and kind of get a bit more level-headed about it? Where are you at mentally at the moment? I'm less angry, but... No, I'm not less angry. I'm fucked off. <laughs> I'm, um, but I think I'm fucked off, but I can uh, rationalise it and kind of put it into perspective and stuff. But this is the first pod, like I've, we've both said it to each other. I think we both said it in group chats and stuff. It's the first pod since we've started that I genuinely feel quite disappointed in our team. Um, and obviously, like, everything I'm going to say is in isolation of this game, right? Like, not discrediting anything that we've done so far. Like, we have been the second best team in the league. Well, first best team in the league, right? We're flipping top, mm. for God's sake. But there was a lot yesterday that really wound me up. And, um, yeah, I, what I was just saying was, since starting the pod, obviously, this we drew yesterday, and it's only the second game we've dropped points. But the Man United game, I didn't care about coming on and kind of discussing and having to like verbally uh, go through things because I actually thought we played well that game and in my opinion that game was variance like yeah game states affected how the result ended out and stuff like that and I think if you roll the dice 100 times on that game we win probably more than 50% of the time but mm. yesterday just felt like we would yeah like, I don't know we we started so well and we we had them like they they were there to be killed yesterday. It's like and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't do. think should they we, would we just go? Should we go back. through our like sequence of stuff like go through the lineup and then yeah, we'll, and then we'll the get really game. into it. But I think I yeah. guess the conclusion is we're both probably a little bit angry. Maybe it's more than disappointed. Um, what I would say is if we drawn against Leeds and drop points there. I would have been able to digest that better because I would have at least been like, you know, they they completely came at us for the whole second half. Yeah. I feel like this was a draw of our own doing in some extent. But we'll talk more about like referee decisions. And obviously that shouldn't be the reason why we didn't get the points. I don't want opposition fans to think we're making excuses. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting because yeah. obviously... Like, we, we should have played better basically, I think. Like it's yeah. still our own fault, right? Like, but It's probably worth saying to everyone else, like you and I don't really communicate our thoughts until we're mm. on here. Like, yeah, we tried to keep like, it separate so we yeah, don't so then, like get a group yeah, thing. Exactly, yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, like, um, yeah, both of our takeaways after. So I guess, but... yeah. So I guess for the podcast viewers, I guess just to clarify the lineup, it was obviously what we expected. Except I, I'd kind of gone for Tierney. You'd gone for Tomiyasu. Tomiyasu did in fact come in. Um, I think his third Premier League game playing at left back since that Liverpool and Leeds game as well. Yeah. Um, what was your thoughts on him? Yes, it is the thing. Um, I do think he, I almost think he was picked because like, if you look at Southampton, there was a lot of like long throws. They were constantly just trying to just play long balls. Um, I do think he dealt with the aerial balls very well, but I didn't think he offered us much in terms of going forwards. Um, yeah. And it, it kind of just highlighted to me like how much more control we had and how much more we were dominating games in the early part of the season was Zinchenko in the team. So I know Tommy Asu, we discussed, I think you said especially that he can maybe do what Zinchenko does more than Tierney can in terms of like dropping into that midfield role in possession. And But he doesn't obviously 
do much in terms of overlapping runs. Like he's very secure back there. But when we needed a goal, when we needed to create, he, he was just solid, but he wasn't doing much. And obviously I thought that when Tierney did come on, and part of this might be a bit clouded because Martinelli had also gone off, but he was getting into those wing positions. It felt like he was threatening them, Tierney. I do wonder if had we gone with him from the start, could it have been a different game? So the, my yeah, what are your so thoughts the, there? I guess just yeah, before my go further. Unpopular opinion is I feel like Tommy has been uh, told to play how he's been playing and not go. And I think we're so used to what we've seen in those left hand uh, in the left hand side with Zinchenko. But I think the formation, the addition to Ben White's game of the overlapping runs and stuff especially in the last few games, has coincided with Tommy Asu playing there. And I think it's a conscious effort to have Tommy Asu kind of a bit more reserved, tucked in, doing the basics, and Ben White bombing on. And Ben White has been really overlapping quite aggressively. Because then did you notice with the subs later on, it wasn't um, Tommy that went off and Tierney at left back. He didn't have Tierney and Ben White at the same time um, on the pitch. Yeah, that was Tom very Tommy then went right back and Tierney played left back. And we kind of flip the roles of which one was the more attacking fullback. So my unpopular opinion is that I think that was an instruction. I think it was a tactical instruction for Tommy to not be, because he did go and offer himself in certain scenarios when, and then Ben Wright kind of tucked in when needed to, when Tommy was out there. But I think primarily Ben White is the outlet fullback at the moment with Tommy there. And I think Tommy, the dynamics do look off, but I think it's because of what we're so used to seeing before with Zinchenko mm. in there. But I think Tommy is just doing what he's been told to do. I think it's just kind of keep it simple when you're in there, make yourself available. He's both footed, so it opens up more angles than Tierney would be there. And I think I, I would like to see Tierney come in, I, but I don't think the Tommy Asu left back experiment has been as disastrous personally as everyone's making it out. I don't think we didn't win that game because of Tommy Asu. Yeah, no, that's like a that. fair point. I guess for the Liverpool game, it looked like a tactical masterclass, so there's no denying that. I think against Leeds, that's when maybe some doubt was cast by the fan base, as you're saying, and maybe a bit more now in this game. I don't necessarily think it makes me think that Tierney is the answer, but it just makes me realise how important Zinchenko was. I think that's the biggest thing yeah. for me. It, yeah, it makes me realise how important he is and just how much we're missing him, especially, again, like, we... So just taking it a level higher, like, we've just played four ridiculously pressing teams in Liverpool, Bodo Glimt, Leeds and Southampton against those sort of teams. Like, I think to whether Zinchenko was available or not, I think Tommy probably would have played that uh, Liverpool game anyway. But hmm. against Leeds and Southampton, when you're really... like They press really well and Zinchenko's technical ability is just absolutely bonkers. And obviously he lacks a few qualities defensively, which Tommy negates. But in these games, we really missed what Zinchenko offers us. Um, but yeah, I... I don't think that's the reason we dropped points yesterday. I don't think that's the reason. Like, Tommy wasn't the only person that struggled against Leeds. He was one of a few that technically didn't look on it. But I don't. I, I think it's being a bit overstated and, like, dare I say, scapegoated a little bit personally. I think there was a lot of other reasons why we didn't go on to um, take three points yesterday, which we'll get into. Yeah, so I think we'll, we'll look at the numbers as well. But in the second half, I definitely felt like there was a lot of players making very basic mistakes. And Malteta said in his post-match presser himself that 
we just weren't even doing the basics right there was yeah. so many misplaced passes we were just giving the ball away to the opposition and whereas with Leeds it felt like they really pushed us and put the sword to us that's what I was kind of saying at the beginning about it felt like Southampton it was like it was our own we were our own undoing in this game like Southampton looked like they were never going to get into that game at 1-0. Hey, they were they singing, how off. shit must you be? It's only 1-0. That says it all. Like, <laughs> yeah. that, like, genu- that genuinely says it all. Now, we should have wrapped up the game in that first half. I think the, the other thing that really bothers me, I, I know we don't, I don't know if you want to talk about the referee stuff now, but yeah, yeah, go for it. It feels like a good time as any. So obviously I, I didn't get a chance to see any replays at the time because conveniently, um, no one at half time showed any replays or at full time of any incidents that might have been against Arsenal and against the rules of football. But um and equally I don't think VAR looked at any of them either. But for me, there was that incident right at the beginning that kind of set the tone to the Southampton defenders about what, what was, was able again? to be done. So it was when Jesus was getting manhandled and Jesus Oh, the said, potential penalty. Yeah. So Jesus says afterwards he spoke to the referee at the end of the game and said, like, dude, like what the hell? Like what the fuck um and he was like oh you know you didn't go down if you'd gone down then maybe Is that what he said the penalty yeah hey, that's a and, and, and the same referee has then given Saka a yellow card for diving when it has gone down and I'm not saying it should have been a free kick to us but there was no con- but it's not a dive for that, yeah it's not a dive so he's saying yeah. one player you should dive next time so I give you the penalty the, despite you getting fouled and trying to be sportsmanlike and stay on your feet and still try to play football. And then he's yellow carding a different player who went down at high speed in a 50-50 where they've knocked into each other and given him a yellow for diving. So that was that first incident. And what I'm trying to say is that when that happened, if you then look at the rest of the game and all the other incidents that didn't get called, the other future potential penalties, the ref set that precedent that you can manhandle these guys and get away with it. The ref controlled that. So I I never tried to come out of a game and entirely blame it on a referee right i i think there mm-hmm. is always stuff within your control that you can do but this does not fucking help when a referee has got such an input in the flow of a game and how much it's interrupted and then a team like us that tries and plays patterns of play free-flowing football if that's constantly interrupted and like the fouls are just not being like when there are real fouls that should contribute towards a penalty and then you've got someone like Saka getting booked when that shouldn't be bu- a booking like those things all accumulate and it affects the flow and game state it really does and this is the one thing I keep saying I've said it in like four episodes that Man City game at home it was nothing to do with the big decisions it's all the little things that goes missing which entirely affects um, the momentum in a game and like that that refereeing performance is up there as one of the worst I've seen. Like it's the worst I can. My memory of football games is awful, but that's the worst I can remember in a long time for Arsenal. Like I don't really watch too much outside of Arsenal, but like that was pathetic. And like that, you saying that in terms of like, oh, if he went down, he would have considered it. That is absolutely pathetic. Like that is a foul. Like that yeah, is like, a foul. like there I is asked, nothing to the debate thing, there. Like, you can talk about soft, not soft, but like, how can a VAR not even relook at that? Or relook at it and not even ask the ref to relook at it in case he missed what he saw. And then going into the second half as well, obviously, like we've got Mike saying here that they didn't show the push on white or the Tierney one. So which one's again, the white one? I'm, I'm so so he just literally got pushed over. Right. And again, like nothing given, didn't show any replays of it. So, you know, I've not seen the replay because they didn't show any. So it's hard for me to know whether it was a penalty or not. I can't make a decision. But 
from my perspective, he just got pushed over in the box. So, you know, again, like, would that not be a penalty? Um, and then the Tierney one, that's a weird one because, again, I didn't see it, but I heard it. I don't know yeah. if you noticed, but on, like, because I was watching it on TV, there was like an audible, like, hit sound yeah. like that. And then, like, he's there holding his neck on the floor. And I'm thinking, how is no to be one honest, I've not, either? I've not seen a replay of that one to know for sure. I would have been surprised. Like, in real time, I wasn't like, oh, my God, that's a disgrace. Mm. But I was surprised it didn't get checked. Um, that, that's what I'm getting at. Like, they don't show the replay to us at home. It doesn't get checked. doesn't even get spoken about afterwards. It kind of makes me think, obviously, like I said, this is not the reason we drop points. Um we, we should have played better. But it's, it's a up. large contribution. But it's a factor. wild thing. Because imagine Jesus gets that penalty on the first incident. Let's say he scores it. We go 2-0 up at half time. There's no chance to come in back into that game. So as much as I do think it's our fault for not playing our game and not um, you know doing the basics right in the second half, it's just appalling that this is still happening in the most, I guess, yeah. what is it? The, the most, uh, what it's is it? The, the most... Like the most profiled league in the world. That's what right? I think. Yeah, I was gonna say like the most revenue generating league in yeah. world football. They got billions of pounds coming in, and this is what we're seeing. Um, but also, and then... like Lianco on Enketia, I know that was in the 92nd minute. He's had two attempts there at like what's the assault sounds very <laughs> exaggerated, but like he, he went, he, I think he grabbed his face, he then like tried to, I oh, moved so he, so he tried to headbutt and... him, and then he then grabbed his throat. You know, if yeah, that was like, one of our but players. also, rewind <laughs> to earlier in the game. So, in itself, that is a sending off. But rewind to earlier. How Lianco wasn't already booked earlier in the game. He, that, he, they committed so many fouls. And I they're think, not trying to say so. They let the flow only, go because they want he, that whole initiative of let the game flow, don't stop the yeah, game. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing. Just be consistent it. with things. But, like, at the end of the day, a foul is still a foul. Like, I'm... I hate interruptions in football. If there's an if there's an opportunity to play advantage, I am in that camp all day long. But you need to have common sense with it. Like you can't just go from what used to be one extreme to a complete opposite end now, where it's like you're ignoring blatant fouls. It's just pathetic. And Lianco really only committed one. Like on the official mm -hmm. stats, he committed one foul. Yeah. Anyone none of that watched that game, like that, that's bullshit. Like. Just just to add to what so Pontus is saying about like um, not necessarily that he's saying the ref was bad, but did you put the sure. comment back up? Yes, yeah, so he's saying the ref was bad, but not he doesn't necessarily think like the sack of decisions and stuff were like penalty. Uh, sorry, penalties necessarily or fouls. So he's saying it's with Jesus. I think the way you got to look at it, right, is you're saying Jesus, the defender, got the ball first and held him. You can't you like can't hold, hold a player back in the yeah. box. Um, and the reason why I said this is something interesting is. If that was Harry Kane and he went down, would that be a penalty? Oh, yes. 100%. England like, captain, FA's Even if he's him. not going down, he's getting that. And also the Saka one. I, like... I, think the, I think the telling thing, by the way, is the fact that Jesus is telling us, he literally spoke to the referee, asked him why he didn't get a pen. The ref said, next time you should fall over and then I would give it to you. So the yeah. ref has told Jesus explicitly that I have punished you for staying on your feet. You should just fall over and roll around and next time I'll give it. I think that's the telling part for me. Um, had that conversation not happened, maybe I'd agree with you, Pontus. But it's just the fact that he's literally saying the refs told him you should have gone down. Then I'd give it. But and then on the sack, on the sack of thing, like maybe I need to see that again myself. But in the moment, I just felt like maybe he was going down. But again, I need to see it myself to remember that fully. But I felt like 
he was running at full pelt and like that's what he i mean did, he did take a knock like, yeah he it wasn't a foul like it was just an unfortunate he wasn't fouled, yeah but there was still died. some there was still <laughs> something that knocked him off his balance at that there, speed yeah you just yeah, end up and, like, losing your balance and it's it's okay for there to be contact and it not be a foul but it's not a fucking dive like that i can't get over that like, so how about this yeah so i, I just put the ball in your court monsters if you reply in the live chat if granite Xhaka did what happened to jesus to an opposition striker in the box would they get a penalty do you know what the press would be saying they'd say oh um it's soft but granite Xhaka shouldn't give the referee that decision to make yeah, he, that would yeah, be the exact that, that would be the it exact would be, like, yeah. he shouldn't have given them the decision to make in the first place he's naive for doing that and getting his arms around someone so i think that, that's the way i look at it but let's um Let's go to the the data as well, because obviously this kind of maybe yeah. connects to what we're saying at the moment. Anyway, we can go back to more about the game rather than the ref. And the final kind of interesting fact I said I wanted to tell you was, so you do realise this was the same ref that gave Aston Villa's goal from the corner when Ramsdale was also being um, held by an opposition player in yeah. place. So I've been seeing people on the timeline complaining like, oh, you can't, you know, you can't obstruct someone deliberately and stop them from getting to a ball and all this stuff. And it's happened twice to us under the same ref. So I just find that frustrating. But um, so the rolling XG from Marcos stats on Twitter, um, it's 0.69, the cumulative XG from Southampton versus 1.92 for us. The stats bomb XG is very different. It's actually 0.6 for Southampton to 1 for us. X threat is 0.7 for them to 1.5 for us. Possession 41% for them, 59% for us. Field tilt is pretty even, actually, the time that was spent in both teams third, so 46% and 54%, and then defensive line height, 39 and 55 Um, We can kind of see, like, up until, what is that, like the 60th minute? Yeah. There's, like, in the cumulative um, XG, expected goals, till about 65th minute, where that goal happens for them, there is nothing. Yeah. And then for about 10 minutes, there's some stuff. And then again, no XG accumulate till the end of the match. So I saw like Hassan Uton and some other trying to say that they they were, you know, all over us and pushing I us. I saw and... a quote of yeah. like, oh, we had them on the ropes. I was like, did yeah. you fuck? Like, and they tried to get Ben White in like, the interview. Fair play to them for like getting a draw. Like I will never take anything away from opposition yeah. when they get a result, right? Unless it's been like a proper shit house, But... Fair play to Southampton. They did, they did well to get back into it, and then they yeah, like they got what they like, deserve. They like we didn't yeah. deserve to win a game where we played the way we did in the second and half. Yeah, like they did. They tweaked the system. Like it was a really well worked goal. But having us on the ropes, that fucking. But that's what I mean. Like Leeds had us on the ropes. These guys Leeds had, had us nothing. On, yeah, um, and that's what's more frustrating. That's why I said I would have been, I guess, less angry had we drawn to Leeds than to Southampton because I felt like this was our own doing. Um, what about this then? So obviously Ben White got interviewed after the match, and I saw this, yeah. he's getting very good at not falling. I love his interviews. Tracks, yeah. <laughs> so they kind of said to him like, "Oh, you know, do you think like Arsenal have like changed from like a few years ago, and you know they, they get bullied in the past and all this stuff?" Um, and then he just kind of like looked at him and was like, "What? Yeah. Like Southampton didn't bully us?" He was like, we should have beat like, them like 4-0. Like, he's like, we should have just scored. Like, yeah. we, like Jesus could have had two goals on a different day. <laughs> like, like, this was totally on us. This was like, yes, Southampton changed their system. And when they went back to the back five, we didn't get as many chances. But when we were having chances thick and fast and we started out on the blocks like we've done most of the season, we should have put this game to bed. Um, you know, had Jesus scored one of his chances, 
we wouldn't be here ruining missed penalties or like headbutts and chokes from their players on our players getting no, no cards. Um, we shouldn't have to worry about that stuff. We shouldn't even be in this. We should be playing well enough that whatever happens with the refereeing performance, it doesn't cost us points. And that's where my biggest kind of takeaway from the game is that I think, I was about to say we lost the game. I forget, like we did draw, <laughs> but I think we dropped points because of a variety of factors. One of them was, I think the kind of finishing aspect, again, is being overblown personally. I didn't think the chances we had were of the absolute high quality that everyone else seemed to think. I think we could have done better. But for me, it was more, we went one, the, the first, let's talk about positives. We started mm-hmm. the game absolutely brilliant. It was like our little, our structures, our rotations, the progressive passing, the tempo, everything was brilliant. Really beautiful, well-worked goal. And then I think we, yeah, we we sustained it for a little bit. But then that's when I started to get the feel that the team consciously to and oh this is worth mentioning i don't know if you know the uh oh what's his name the crab guy that tweets out the stats uh, oh yeah yeah what what he sh- that was actually really interesting it was about our guy i guess our expected goals and our expected goals conceded when we're at a level game when we're today, leading yeah and then versus when we're actually leading by a, a goal so and when we're at an even game state it's basically us and man city in the top right quadrant of the graph and not another team in the yeah. league even close as soon as we go a goal up, we we look like we're like mid table, yeah. yeah. And that so like going back to my point, we lost, uh, we drew the game because of a variety of factors. And one of the biggest things for me wasn't obviously finishing uh, was a factor, right? Like if Jesus scores that volley, um, if Xhaka instead of pole driving that shot, maybe drills it across the box to like Martinelli, Jesus who were in there, but it wasn't that for me. It was once we went one nil out, one nil up. The lack of urgency, ruthlessness, and decisiveness in the areas and pockets where we're dangerous, we are fantastic at beating a press, getting the ball, distributing it into half spaces, isolating our wingers one v one, and then creating chances. And we just, we had the ball in the right pocket. It was just in the next pass wasn't quick enough and. It felt like a conscious, and that's why I wanted to bring up the crab stats guy because it felt like a conscious decision at one nil, half hour in, to be like, okay, let's let's take our foot off the gas here. Like, we, yeah, maybe we are tired, we're fatigued a bit. Let's just knock it around. Let's just manage it like this. And that for me is the difference. If I don't buy into the fatigue thing personally, my personal opinion is that I think that is being so overblown. I think the minutes... Some of those players squad, didn't even start on Thursday, right? Yeah, so that can't and, be an excuse for us. And I think the, the minutes in the squad has been managed so well. And I think it'd be interesting to look at this statistically. If you look at any of the teams in Europe right now, like in the Premier League, they will all be on similar minutes. So like that is not an excuse for me. And we've seen what Arteta said about next season. But next season, we're not going to, if we're in the Champions League, we're not going to have the luxury to rotate as much as we have so far. So I didn't buy into that. But for me, if the players are feeling that way and you want to have a breather, go and kill the game. Go and get two or three and then knock it about. You don't do that at 1-0 because there are opportunities in the perfect zones and areas to go and annihilate them. Honestly, that sounds hyperbole. It sounds exaggerated. But I promise you, if we carried on the same level of intensity, because that's it. We came out of the blocks well, but that wasn't the best we can play. 
they were playing in like gear three out of five. If they just went up one more, just kill off the game, they could have then played in gear one and two for the rest of the game. And for me, that was my biggest frustration. It was a combination of, yeah, the lack of urgency and tempo and ruthlessness in the final third and decision-making. Obviously, finishing was a slight thing, like Jesus, his volley, but I put it down to complacency, personally. I really mm. do. I think they had, in their heads, they were like, okay, it's 1-0. We can just see this game out as is. And they didn't go and continuously create the chances that we've seen. Because look, if you look at the XG, and Statsbomb is the model that I personally value the most in the industry, Statsbomb had us at an XG, expected goals of one. And that's, I personally felt that. I didn't think, like, we had a flurry of little chances. I didn't think any one of them, personally, were like a massive like howler. Jesus had another one. He got into, like, the left side of the box. He dribbled one way, dribbled the other, smacked it with his left foot, hit the side netting. I don't think that's a high-quality chance from the angle. But my point is more, if you rewind, put that team in the positions they were, but repeat it with the same patterns of play and intensity as the first 20 minutes you get two or three real high quality chances you get mm. because you, you we were seeing it with the way we were stretching them there was pockets there Odegaard was running and Jacker was running and that's how the goal happened Odegaard had another one where he slotted it wide and again it was a hard chance but it was the ability to keep creating those chances that really dropped off and that for me really really angered me because that was a conscious effort that wasn't what Southampton did that was a conscious decision from us and that screamed to me of arrogance personally and that's why i'm so angry so for my yeah, summary i think complacency is probably a big part but yeah, just quickly so like, like for me it's a combination of complacency that lack of ruthlessness and urgency and decision making and then obviously i'm not gonna like deny it i i don't want to it to be the be all and end all and the main decision uh the main factor but the referee, like it absolutely contributed to the flow of the game. And then when Southampton are like lumping balls into the box through throw-ins, corners, like you can't build momentum that way. Um, and one thing, sorry, I know I'm hogging this, but just final point in Arteta's post-match conference, he talked about distances and I think you touched on it, doing the basics right. That's exactly what I mean. We just, hmm. I didn't word it in terms of doing the basics, but for how we're coached, and we, it's patterns of play with us. Like they can play blindfolded this team, and they'll know who's where, who's where, depending on who's got the ball. For me, it just became that simple thing of doing the basics. And if you're fatigued, and again, Arteta touched on this: if you're fatigued and you let the game turn into a basketball game, how the hell do you think that's going to go? The best way to manage fatigue is keep the bloody ball. You remember the cliche when you grow up and you're playing football: let the ball do the work. We didn't yeah. do that. And that, that's for me why I'm so angry. But of course, the ref was a contributing factor as well. So that's my kind of summary on it. And I've, I definitely think so, yeah. So the ref is definitely more of a footnote in this. There's a lot we can learn. I hope that this game comes at a time where it's early enough in the season where we can learn from it. So how we kind of said that we wished we'd learned from United and then against Spurs and Liverpool, it looked like we did. Um, I'm hoping it's a similar situation here where we've been taught a lesson about complacency and not kind of playing at 60%. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I think if we can learn this lesson now early on, hopefully we will be a bit more humble when we go to some of these away stadiums. And, you know, it's a bogey stadium for us at the end of the day. Like, we, it we didn't need to be. Preview, but it didn't need to be. We could have killed the game, I know. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, narratives kind of... Obviously, statistically, yeah, you look at it, our record isn't great there. But if you just analyze this game in isolation 
three points were there for the taking. That is entirely on us. Like I know I gave credit to Southampton for their system tweak, but the game should have been done before that. And again, I feel like perspective. Okay, you look at where we are in the season. We're overperforming with where we thought we would be and what our objectives and goals are. But because of how well we're performing, you like to think we can punch a little bit higher. And I've seen a few people, like some of my mates who are like, yeah, I really value their opinions. They're saying, well, if you told me about October, like we'd get X amount of points and the only game we'd drop points is Southampton, I'd bit in your hand off. And I'm like, that's fine. But like... <laughs> You can't continue. That feels like kind of telling yourself something to make yourself feel better. Like, I completely get that. You can't continue winning every game, right? But mm. Leeds, if we dropped points, I would have not been angry. I would have been disappointed, but we would have been well beat. This game is entirely on us. And that's what hurts the most, I think. Um, yeah. And then I don't know what you thought about when they equalised. Like, really well-worked goal, but I thought, positionally we just got in a bit of a mess and like Saliba and White were in each other's positions and like I used to play as a right back when I was younger like that is something when anything changes positionally in your team like it's so difficult to track runners and stuff it's just confusing and unfortunately they really played that uh, they played really well for that goal but then for me the subs and the reaction after, like I, you know me, I love Arteta. Like I want to name my bloody firstborn after him. Like if and when I have a kid. But those subs, subs, I found mind-boggling. I think Enketia yeah. on the left for me doesn't work. I think he's a fantastic centre-forward option, and I think he's developed so much more to his game. You look at the back end of last season, how well he did, and I feel for him. It's hard to demonstrate how good you are when you're playing in a rotated team midweek, and then you're getting cameos. And not only that, you're playing out of position. I'm surprised we didn't go for that 3-5-2 that we saw in pre-season. That's what I was going to ask, because didn't we uh, move to that when, was it after Fulham and Mitrovic scored when Gabriel was dawdling on the ball? And I yeah. think Eddie came on with like half an hour to go in the front too. Um, obviously, it was the pre-season formation too, but I would have much rather, as you say, liked to have seen him as part of a front two or even Jesus go to the wing. But it was a bit odd playing him in a position where he doesn't necessarily do much. Um but equally, let's like, take off Martinelli, like who wasn't having like a bad game by any means. And, you know, the guy had only come on for us like a few minutes as a sub on Thursday. So he's fresh. So I didn't particularly mind that. Like I didn't. But I thought it was, oh, we're going two up top and we're going for this. And, you know, we've spoken about like Leicester Fulham games where we were, we conceded and you, you knew the goal was coming. I didn't get mm. that feeling yesterday. And like just seeing Enketa on the left, I was like, why would you put him there? Like he put him and Jesus cl like close the distances. Again, another thing Arteta talked about was the distances between the players. It was far too big. If he thought that, I don't know why he was sticking someone like Enketia left wing with Jesus up top, who I thought Jesus struggled again a little bit. And like it's like get them close together, let them combine like mm. we've seen them do it in periods. And then also, I know it was like 10 minutes later. I thought Odegaard was doing fine. I thought the intensity was getting to the right level. And then you take him off and like, I didn't... He's the player I, I, we need in that game, right? To unlock yeah. them. It seemed odd I, to take him off. Uh, I, just, I, I think we've seen this before though, right? Like pretty over the last few seasons, there have been times where we thought that maybe Arteta's kind of substitutes or like the ability to change the tactic from the bench hasn't always been the best. I've always put it down to him being a young coach and he's learning on the job and 
similar to how we say our squad are young and they're getting better. I do think there is some blame to be laid on Arteta's in-game decision-making process against Southampton, not just the players. So I think they're both blame, yeah. Yeah, all season, I think his in-game management has been brilliant. Like, I think everything he's done has been done to a T. This is the first time I was Mm. a bit baffed and... um, I thought Vieira dropped an absolute stinker. Like, oh yeah, there's like, no there's doubt, no doubt. he's that. a quality player. But again, when you're relying on people to like, and Ketia spoke about it in that podcast he did like last season, right? When you've got 10, 15 minutes, and I think in a game like that, I didn't personally understand why it was an Odegaard for Vieira. Uh, I guess it's the idea that we don't have any other attacking talent. Who are you going to bring on, Nelson or Marquinhos? So what this game highlighted to me again, and I hope it did to the board and to Edu and to Arteta is we got three league games to go. If you want to carry on the way we started this season, you will have to buy another winger that can give minutes for Saka. You can't be going into a game like this and Eddie comes on to go on the wing and then Vieira, who's meant to be slowly bedded into this team, one for the future, is expected to, as you say, come in and win you the game with 10 minutes to go. Um, And you're taking off like Odegaard. Like, Yes, I understand we want Saka to play lots of games, 70 games a season. I get that. And we want him to put up to that level of fitness of an elite player. But we literally have no depth on the wing. That Smith yeah. is currently out, right? So we literally have Martinelli and Saka. And both of their respective kind of replacements, I guess, if they need to be subbed or if they get injured, are just nowhere near that level. Yeah. So I think that's, that's my problem there. It's like, what do you do, right? Like, there's no, like, is he going to put on Marquinhos or. Uh, Nelson at right wing and sub Saka, or is he going to sub Odegaard and put on Vieira? Like, we, we literally have no options to change the game yeah. attacking wise. Eddie's our only option that maybe you could say is a bit more developed. Um, but again, maybe we misused him yesterday, which is that then comes down to Arteta's management, which up until now was good, as you say. But I think obviously y- yesterday it didn't quite go to plan for him. But ho- hopefully he learns from that, right? I think just one thing I do want to add is if you notice though, there was that game where we said he went to the 3-5-2, but generally speaking, when we make subs, it's kind of like like for like. Have you, have yeah. you not felt like that? So like, we'll bring on like a right-back to play the exact same right-back role as White. We'll bring on a left-back to play the exact same left-back role as, as Zinchenko was in Tommy, then in Tierney, and ask him to do it. We'll put Vieira on and tell him to do what Odegaard was doing. We'll bring on Eddie and tell him to do what Martinez was doing. Like, I guess what, what I think it was, who was I listening to? I think it was Gunnerblog. And he, he was kind of saying, like, if we're saying that the backups to those players are not able to play that same way, should we not like plan for them that when they do sub on, that we change our tactic? Wow, like, that... like, why are we persisting with the exact same style if the players who come in can't? do the Zinchenko role? Like, why don't we do something slightly different and well, maybe play to their strengths? I agree with that to an extent, but I think when you look at the squad building, like, I think there's a conscious reason we've got someone like Zinchenko and Tierney like, who are stylistically quite different. I think I think the way we are as a team is like we've got a structure and a system that everyone's wedded into. You see it in, I say the B team, like it's not a B team, it's a rotated team on the Thursdays. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone plays the same way. But for me... And it was a point you just made about like we didn't have anyone that could really come on and change the game. For me, it's not always it's different game states, right? And each game is a different challenge. There's some games where you need an individual person to come mm-hmm. on and change a game. And there's games where I think you have to tweak a system. And yesterday for me was a system tweak. And it was partly because Southampton tweaked theirs. So for me, the response to that isn't just keep doing what you're doing and swap like for like. 
it is tweaking the system. And that's where I think you don't go and Ketia on left wing, replace exactly what Martinelli was doing. You mm-hmm. don't go and bring on Vieira like for like for Odegaard. I think that's where you go and tweak a system to try and do something different and shake it up because it didn't feel like we were in the second half. It didn't feel like anything was going to happen at all. And nothing um, was clicking. All the passes, the no. party didn't look great either in that second no, half. And, th- and that's one like I I really rate him so highly and like um, yeah like just with and without him it's night and day like he is I'm, I'm if we if he was there at Old Trafford we win that game like that's how yeah, important that's he how is I thought yeah but he is not exempt from constructive criticism either and one thing that i've consistently said is i feel like there's certain periods in games and game states which i talk about all the time where he needs to learn to slow the tempo down a bit and we are a team that relies on patterns and control and sometimes you just need to reset just knock it about for five ten passes what rodri does and party he is one of the best line breaking passes in the league like yeah, he is exceptional in the way he's press resistant and he will aggressively get it out to the wings, which is so important for how we play. But there's a time and a place. And I feel like in some games like this, where we're kind of losing the flow, losing the control, we've not got that sense. Yeah, it's control. You sometimes just need someone to take responsibility and kind of dictate that. And that stems from that central pod, which is typically party. And that's one of my disappointments. And I felt it, I think it was the Leicester game as well. It turned into a bit of a basketball game and like that's where you need someone like that to really take the sting out just control the game have a reset and that because we yeah we're, we're a patterns of play team right just have that take the sting out reset while open play is going on and then go again and i think that's what we were lacking sometimes yesterday as well it's not think, every um, day going yeah. like aggressively kill like with line breaking passes personally you got to like assess the game state. I think you're right. Mike says this from earlier our chat about that kind of drop off we saw from that crap Twitter account from when it's like an even game state to when we go ahead. And I think he actually puts it really well. Yeah, really that sums it up. It does, doesn't it? We're basically playing two nil football or one nil for any podcast listeners who can't see it, and we were basically trying to get it done at sixty percent level. It felt yeah. like it was just it was really embarrassing. Um, and it's like. Just just play 3-0 football at 2-0. That's all we have to do. We've got yeah. it in us. Get to the 2-0 first, it. yeah. Yeah, we have got it in us. And like this has been a recurring theme under Arteta, so I hope it does get sorted because we're we're a top team. Like We've got so many levels and gears to go up. And I think that's what like, this anger today kind of stems from frustration of like, obviously the objective was top four. My personal thing was I didn't buy the narrative in preseason that third was locked off to Spurs. I thought we could become... I thought we could finish third. I didn't see Liverpool falling off like that. they have. So it stems from a sense of like, okay, we're doing fantastic, but it could be two points more. And like, mm. yeah, I don't know. That That's where it stems from. But yeah, Mike's hit the nail on the head there. And it's like, we have got it in us to play 3-0 football at 2-0. So I just wish we saw that more. Yeah, I, I do. Um, and just a quick shout out to Bobby as well. Thanks for tuning in. And Glenn as well is tuned in. Um, yeah, I think, Definitely a disappointing result. Um, Is there anything on the actual game before we get into like the other? Yeah, there's just one more bit. So there's the passing networks. I guess we should have a quick look at this before we go through. Um, If you guys want to put any questions in the chat as well from now, that we'll come to. Before we like even dissect this sort of stuff, is there anything that stood out to you during the game or anything else? um, I'm just trying to think. Um, I do still think it was very odd subbing off Ben White. 
who like at 60 minutes who actually like created the first goal um yeah i don't know it maybe plays into what you said earlier for anyone who missed it about the idea that when tommy plays there that's maybe in the last few games what's allowed ben white to make more of the overlapping runs and then when Tierney plays there, Tommy plays right and Tommy stays back so Tierney can bomb up. So I wonder if it's because we don't want to have two of them running. But, you know, at the start of the season, Ben White wasn't making overlapping runs. So couldn't yeah. Ben White just play right back and, like, carry on and, like, we just yeah, bring just on Tierney? Yeah, just tell him to tweak his style. For yeah. But that, I think, so that confused me. Was that idea that Odegaard scored a goal that got ruled out? He was creating chances. He had some great passes going through. He then got subbed. I forgot about that, actually. Yeah, but that's yeah, so exactly what I mean. That's like, what I mean. So we subbed was, off the yeah. players that looked like they were actually doing something for us. We subbed off Ben White. He got an assist. Like, we subbed off Martinelli 60 minutes in. I know you said it wasn't too concerning to you, but, like, for me, I'd rather, like, we throw the kitchen sink. Like, last time round, we subbed off a fullback against Fulham when we went one goal down and brought on Eddie and put on a striker. For... It was like a throwback to the Wenger days. Um, yeah. This time do you think was, there was an element of conservative? I don't know. Do you think there was an element in Arteta's head of like we're away from home? And mm. I hope he doesn't think this. I hope he backs us to kind of go for it and get the win in a controlled manner, not like kitchen sink. But do you think there was an element of we're away from home? Let's see if we can do it with the systems and tools we've got on the pitch right now rather than kind of taking off a defender for one more attacker just yet. Do you think it was I, that? I think part of me does think that actually we almost had this niggling doubt of we absolutely can't lose this game. It was almost like, I, I, I almost questioned, like, did we kind of, in the same way that we saw Spurs and Liverpool do against us, where they like basically like conceded the game and waved the white flag. The yeah, pair of them. exactly. This was like our version of it, but not conceding yeah. <laughs> to a loss, but conceding that, okay, we're away from home. Our boys are not doing the basics, right? This is looking cagey as hell. Like it's going wrong. The game state's fucked. The ref hasn't called anything. We're getting wrestled all over the pitch now. You know what? Let's just... If we can get the win, as you say, like, great. But let's just keep going the way we are. We'll make like-for-like replacements in each position and just keep trying. But Mm. I don't want to shake it up and then lose the game. I think maybe that has a big part to play with it. Because it could have been a much worse weekend, right? But when you really deep it... And I was having this debate with opposition fans in group chat. We gained a point on Liverpool and Spurs for our top four race this weekend. Yeah. And we stayed as far ahead of Chelsea and um, United as we were before the week started. So the only top six team that did anything was City made two points back on us. Yeah, and like, let's be real. like they're, They are going to run away with the league. Like it's And great. the thing is, City will have games like this, right? Like they drew to Aston Villa, who sacked their manager now. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, like these games happen to everyone. So I think my biggest thing is how do we bounce back from this? Do we do what we used to do last season where you lose a game, then you lose them in freeze? Or do we do what we did earlier this season where you lose to United, felt you should have won. And then you bounce back. And you bounce back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my thinking. And that's why now when we go to the preview for Forest, I guess we'll have seen what happens on Thursday against uh, PSV away. But it's going to be very interesting because... People are asking me, like, do you think we're going to play the A team against PSV away to wrap that up and then play a B team against Forest? I do not see a world in which we draw a Premier League game and go with a rotated team against Forest at home. No, no. We are going to be out for blood mix. That's the kind of game where we have to bounce back. And I think Arteta will have in the back of his mind that this Forest team just took four points from Brighton and Liverpool. Yeah. And I also don't think... You don't disrespect Premier League opposition like that. We need one point 
against PSV and we win that group. Exactly. I do not see a world in which the players who played the way they did this Sunday are rewarded with a start away at PSV. You don't play that shockingly and then it's like, oh, no matter how much you got the basics wrong, I'm going to start you all because I want you to go and win this game. Yeah. Yes, you know, you give the backup a chance yeah. to play and prove that maybe they deserve a spot in starting 11, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you no, want the competition to keep agree. going. You want Tierney to start the game and be like, fuck this. Like, when am I going to start? You want them to come out with like a little monkey on the shoulder and be like, no, I need to get back into this team. So Yeah, 100%. I completely agree. And I, I think seen a lot of people so like i said i personally don't buy into or agree with this tired fatigued narrative personally um not saying my opinion's right it's just it's my opinion on it um but i don't think he i think the team against psv will be similar to how he's picked all of the other games in the europa league so far um I it'll think be like Arteta... one in each position, right? It'll be like a one defender from the 11 from the premier league one midfielder one yeah forward. I, I think it would be a balanced of uh, our best players and then the kind of rotational options and it will be a combined team that he thinks is good enough to win the game. I know we only need a point, but I think he'll pick a team strong enough that he believes will get three points. And let's face it as well, right? Modern football is backed up by so much science and data. If these guys were really fatigued and really dead they'd be in the red zone they'd be flagging they like they would not be risked so, so do you know what's really interesting you're going to love this so me you and lots of others i speak to and listen to have we've been talking about the red zone for years and i'm pretty sure someone came out recently i think it was clive from arsenal vision he was basically like i've been told the red zone doesn't actually exist it's like a is fan it? thing it's a fan thing is it but like, the data's there obviously like there must be some other name they give it like there's got to be a word that describes when someone's yeah. at a higher risk of injury because of how much they've played. So if you now play them, there's like 80% more chance they'll get injured because of the muscles. But apparently, this then plays into what you've said, which is you don't buy this fatigue idea because yeah. I think it's us as fans who are looking at this. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like, I it's think... not the team. Like the, the medical team will tell Arteta, we saw in All or Nothing, right? This is where this player's at. Exactly. And like you wouldn't like, play a player who's not gonna be able to play. So, like it's simple as that. The the red that that's so interesting. So the red zone is probably just a buzzword that fans yeah. have come up with, right? Like you know, in like corporate world, you've got like buzzwords like low hanging fruit yeah. and nonsense like that. That's probably exactly what like it that. is. I promise yeah. you come but, from the it must have but, come from the fans. But it's a real thing. But I, yeah, it's a real like there is still there will be play there will be data that indicates that there are certain players at a higher risk than others depending on minutes and uh, fatigue injuries and what i personally think and what i'm trying to say is i don't believe any of our players are anywhere near that i, I strongly believe that and i think if they were they wouldn't be being picked like our uh, yeah everything is so data and medically driven nowadays they're not idiots like they know so much more than us so that i personally do not buy that at all um and yes yeah, so i think we'll go strong enough against PSV and I think he is like you said he'll be out for blood they they will want a reaction on Sunday they don't um, want to get a big Forrest. one as well Forrest will be a bit more um, up for it after their speaking recent speaking of um, fatigue red zone all of that and like, if you look at the passing network so like we say structurally we're always 
um, you know what to get. But this one, you get Arteta touching on it, the distances between people. Because our positional play is all about numerical superiority in zones and quick interchanges, overloads. And yeah, it was the distances were so far apart. And Jesus, for me, was dropping so deep. And like you didn't see him really turning and being able to accelerate into the box as much as we're used to. Um, and... Yeah, again, structurally, like we looked okay, but it just wasn't as crisp as we used to. But I guess what they're very close was... to each other on this graph. If you like, for the podcast viewers, you can't see it. Yeah, like, yeah. In this passing network, that like when you look at say like White and Odegaard, they're basically standing on top of each other. Um, same with Party and. So I think the relationship on the right was fine. It's just more when you look at like Jesus, how close he is into Party. Like that for He's me. That's exactly further on the pitch than him for like the, where the passes happen. Yeah, and like party should, in my opinion, just be slightly deeper to be able to take it from the back four and then connect with the forward line. But it just felt in the attacking, in the mid and attacking third, like you take that group of four or five, it didn't feel as spaced out and structured efficiently as we're used to. And I think Jesus, I don't know, it, it looks like he's struggled the last couple games to me like obviously yeah, if he put since, if he puts since that incident as well isn't it like where he got the double head knock where we weren't sure what happened and if he was unconscious um they say they followed the protocols so i trust them that like obviously they're not playing a concussed player before oh protocols. yeah yeah absolutely i just like, mean I I that, but, but then he's, he's not looked the same since then but then i do think he like you could you could see it in his body language you are right like they all start tetter about it about jesus not scoring for like four league games and how he feels and he was just kind of like, you know, like this is a guy who would be pissed when he scores two goals because he thinks he should have scored four. So yeah. of course he's fucking thinking about this right now. So I definitely do think that like I want us to be coming back a week from now and talking about like Jesus exploding into life again. Oh Suarez. yeah, and that's what I'm hoping we see. Like we need we need this bounce back and we need it soon because he brings so much more to the team. I know it's cliched, but he brings so much more in terms of the play style he accommodates us to have yeah. and bringing everyone in and but. You know, he definitely, well, he's on five league goals, not scored for four league games. He will have that in the back of his mind. And I would dread to think if that continues for many more games. I almost think, like, between, like, something that I was thinking is, obviously the World Cup's coming round and he's not been scoring for a few games. Mm. I almost wonder if he's trying to force it too much. Like, if you remember that goal he scored against Leicester where that audacious chip over the goalkeeper, like, the yeah, stuff he was trying, yeah. yeah, it was like he just had the confidence to try that and he knew he could do it. I don't think he would try that chip shot at this point in time. He's in mm. that weird situation know. where he needs a goal to get back into it because he had two op- fine opportunities minimum to, like, score yesterday and obviously it yeah, didn't quite happen that... for him. Yeah, I take your point. I, I just... I think they're harder than everyone's making out those chances personally. And like, my thing is, I've got no concerns on him at all. It's just more. I oh yeah, I'm not an, an, ob- yeah. an observation was the last couple of games. I think he's struggled a little bit, but there are. And when I say struggled, I mean to sustain what we've seen for ninety minutes. Like he's mm. had bursts, in my opinion, in the last couple of games. So yeah. you look at the dribble where he's got himself some space and he's whacked it into the side netting. I don't think. I would be expecting him to score from that angle personally. Yeah, that would be a top shot regardless. Yeah, yeah. the volley, like if it hits either side of the keeper, I think that's probably going in. But that that's a hard skill. Also, Randall, that pass from Odegaard was unreal. Yeah, <laughs> While it's moving great. to scoop it, that's unbelievable. But um, yeah, I, I, I think 
next week against Forest. Like looking forward to doing the preview on Friday, but that should be a game. Like try win the group on Thursday, come out um, next Sunday against Forest, put out a statement. Don't just go before we have to and... then go play Chelsea, right? Exactly. Away from home. Yeah, and it'll be nice for Jesus right to be back amongst the goals. We yeah, have nothing to be concerned about, but yeah, I do. I think he struggled the last couple of games. So I do. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. Let's um. So let's go on from the passing network from here. And this will be the last time I think we read it out, or maybe the World Cup will be, but we're definitely going to close the entry soon. Um, So for the podcast listeners, the mini league code for FPL is AV2ZQR. Get involved in the FPL mini league. Obviously, there's a match tonight starting in 15 minutes between uh, West Ham and Bournemouth, so the league table isn't quite accurate just yet. I think maybe we just give the league table update in the preview when it's actually updated with today's game rather than a midweek update. But yeah, get, get involved in that. And fair play to anyone on the FPL note who did actually go for Granite Xhaka. I know that a few such yeah. as FPL Mahir did and they were rewarded with 10 points. Um, they will be laughing their head off if Xhaka outscores Saka again next week in FPL. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, like, he's not a bad pick at all. Like, he's a, if Saka and Martinelli didn't exist, then yeah, absolutely. But... Yeah. I guess you could like you could argue you'd want him um, instead of the Arsenal defender, perhaps. Uh, but then you got three of your five midfielders at Arsenal. I know. Oh, and also, it, yeah, how are you going to get your other players into this? Yeah, team? one of my mates, he um he went Shaka instead of Martinelli, and I was like, but just because he wanted him as like a fifth midfielder okay, to yeah. rotate in Brilliant. and out. Um, yeah. I think he will like bench him against Chelsea, but. Yeah, I think fair play. It's a million and a bit cheaper than Martinelli. Um, I still don't think Xhaka is in the top three personally, but I think he's absolutely a fine option. Like, and we've said, like we said it for a while. Like, the number eights for Arsenal would become uh, more involved, and like you could see it last season. Like his positioning, he was always in and around the areas, but people didn't see any output, so therefore they didn't notice it. Um, and I tweeted in the summer that I, I was convinced we would sign a left eight. I didn't think Jacko would be starting nor performing to this level. Um, and he's just laughing at everyone. And yeah, but the one thing I was confident in is whoever's playing left eight will get attacking returns. I just didn't think it would be Granit Jacko. So yeah, fair play to him and anyone that's gone on him. You know, I think just quite jealous. Him, yeah, I think just the final thing to add to the match, which deserves a big call out. Obviously, we're very disappointed with what happened, but I, I felt that goal from Xhaka like it was honestly phenomenal um on his right foot pretty much an exact carbon copy of the one he scored against PSV at home a few days earlier um, on Thursday night so and you know both of them were on his right foot so I honestly just feel like so happy to see his redemption 100% something actually just another thing to add do you think that maybe the reason we've gone for Tomiyasu is because Xhaka's doing so well getting up the pitch that if we were to play Tieni from the start, it means we have to then make a sacrifice there where Xhaka has to cover the left-back role whenever Tieni goes forward. And like, is it that maybe he just doesn't like that triangle of Martinelli, uh, Xhaka and Tieni? Because Tieni gets into Martinelli's spot, Xhaka then has to play left-back when he's been doing so well going forward. And it's almost like by having Tomiyasu and, as you say, instructing him to stay back. It allows that Martinelli Xhaka switching into the middle and into the half spaces and interchanging to yeah, keep going. Because yeah. I never really thought of that. And it just suddenly, like, out of nowhere, that just suddenly came to I was like, wait a second, we're talking about how great Xhaka's been. But a big part of that is because he's been further forward. 
Yeah, I think that's a great call. Like, I hadn't really thought of that. The only thing I'd I say guess, is I, I guess we'll see later in the week. Like, if he plays Tommy Arsu again ahead of Tierney, yeah, then there's, there's definitely something telling there. Yeah, I think it was the Brentford game where we noticed Martinelli because Tierney played that game and Martinelli was quiet. But again, it was one of those he was in central zones and like different ricochets, different passes falling in different areas, and he gets a goal and no one talks about it, but. It's a really interesting observation. It'll be interesting to see going forward. I personally don't think Arteta's too worried about that. I think it's just more a case of the like when we were doing the previews, and you're looking at the opposition matchups. I I think it is as simple as uh, he just wanted Tommy for technical security. That is genuinely mm. what I believe. I think I think the aerial simple. side of it comes into it for me. And that yeah yeah because he did very well defending the aerial threats and as he did against Salah the prior time as well. Um, so we have we have a couple we have questions here from William Frick. We'll take this before we get out of here. So he asks, "Are Newcastle a serious top four threat?" Um, so I, I don't know about top four. I think they're a definite challenger for top six. Like they, they look incredible. Like players that have been laughed at by the same narrative that's mocked many of our players over the years. They're all looking great. Almiron looks like a man possessed over there right now. Um, you know, Joe Linton looks fantastic. Um, Shaw in their defence, they got him for three million. He's probably one of the best ball-playing centre-backs in the Premier League right now for three bloody million. Um, honestly, like for me, like I like when we went into that match in the weekend, I remember thinking like, oh, you know what? Newcastle are going to do this. You know, they're going to do Spurs. Like I was pretty confident because they've been looking great. Like yeah. they are a serious team. I knew there was a rebuild coming. I knew there'd be a worry in years to come, right? I did not think they would be getting this good this quickly because some of these players they were still there under um what's his name Brucey. Yeah. Brucey was like benching them and shit and didn't know how to utilize them. So that tells you a lot about kind of how a player's career can so significantly so change with the right coach and who believes in them and plays to their strength. So but no I, I obviously I want to glow about them just because I do feel that they're someone who they are doing so well this season and I think it's very well deserved. It's not like they'd be fluking their results. They play very good football and it's not just because they took points from Spurs, I promise. No, for what? Yeah, all stuff. No matter how shit we are, they always like outdo themselves, don't they? Like they are tin pot club. I've said it like that. They've hit their ceiling. They're nothing to worry about. But um, Newcastle, I think they are a serious top four threat. And the reason why is, First of all, yeah, just second what you say, like how well Eddie Howe has done, like that squad turnover has not been as extreme as everyone has thought. And they've not, I know they've spent big money, but it's been targeted. It's If it was my club, I'd be proud. Like, for, Let's not get into the ownership and all of that, because that's a rabbit hole. But like, just how they've been run with decision making. I would be proud if that was my football club because of how they're recruiting for a strategy. And the turnover in that team has not been prolific. Like they have recruited, but they've recruited very well. And like you said, there's a lot of players in that team and squad that were there last year. And the level of football they're playing is so good. And like Clive tweeted it in terms of like seeing some similarities with Arsenal, right? In terms of no Europe, the freshness, the patterns of playing. Their patterns of play are beautiful. And the reason why I think they are a threat to top four, they've got so many injuries right now. And their yeah, underlying true. metrics yeah. are of a top four team. The so only Mac thing Demane is... Isaac ain't uh, there. They're serious players yet to even so, gel yeah. in. 
So the metrics they're posting are that of a top four team. The only thing holding them back is, again, this is a narrative thing and it depends on how much weight you put into stuff like this, experience. Like they've they've not been in a position like this for a while. I personally think that is something that gets overstated a bit. I think if you've got quality, that kind of wipes the floor with it. Like I don't think we lost out last year because of experience. I think it was because of bloody injuries and squad depth. But anyway, mm. that's one. The second is the squad depth, which I don't think they have currently got right now to sustain it. But I think they'll sign two, three really good players in if January. They do, if they do business like last January where they got Bruno Gamarish, right? That was fantastic business from them. He's only just come back from injury himself. Exactly. And the way he's managed like Sven Botman's in, uh, introduction into the team. And I just think if they recruit well in January, I really... and they're lucky with injuries i think they could be in and around it whether they'll get get there or not who knows but i don't think they'll be far off and i absolutely think they are a threat to it like like from my perspective i i i guess i can't say they're not a threat for top four because if i'm saying i expect them to get a top six position at someone's expense like man united potentially then if you're in the top six you're a threat for top four so like they definitely come a long way um the last time i remember newcastle like this right was a season i think where they came fifth was it Papi Cisse and Denver Bar? Yeah, kind yeah. Of, those vibes. I remember that. that is, and I was thinking like, oh man, like they're going to go and try a challenge for the Premier League. Yeah, like, days. And yeah. obviously it went a bit downhill. They got relegated. Shit went wrong for a while. Um, that was the sports direct cashly ownership, obviously, model. Yeah. But um, I don't think they're going to have that problem anymore. For uh, what it's worth, stitch. though, like I think they are a threat to top four. I think they're serious. But I think we... You know what Gary Neville said about how we're going to fall off and we'll be back down with the Tottenham's, the Chelsea's, the Newcastle. I don't see that. I think we are in the bracket of... So I think City are on their own. And I yep. think second for us is a realistic target. I really do. Whether we'll get it or not, who knows? But I think second, third is definitely achievable for us. And I think the league right now is being broken into groups. I think City are on their own. I think us... I think currently we're on our own. And then I think there's a level below us, which are the Tottenham's, the Chelsea's, the Newcastle's, the Man United's. And so I think Newcastle are a serious top threat, but top mm-hmm. four threat, but I don't think it's going to be at the expense of us with how things are going right now, personally. Just but a quick shout the out. The next as well. few years, oh, yeah, Jesus well. Christ. No, no, just the next few years, if Newcastle keep uh, behaving how they are, being run how they are, decision makings on and off the pitch. We've seen it with us, how quickly things change they're backed by a bloody state like they are in for an unbelievable few years yes i think just i was gonna say a quick shout out to alexo 100 as well i think first time we've seen alex here live or alexo so thanks for tuning in mate he 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 does talk about he feels that like maybe we're third or fourth because we've not played many of the top six but i would say go and look at that because there was obviously the narrative we've had easier games um this was before we played spurs and liverpool i think at the time there was one of our episodes i did it and what I looked at was um, who Man City and Spurs had played. And the average league position of the teams that City and Spurs have played is lower than the ones we've played. So I think it's easy to think we've not played the good teams. But the only thing I would say probably has merit is our away games yeah. were better before these last two. So Southampton and Leeds away were both tough. But prior to that, we were kind of playing away games against teams where we, we were going to probably win in the state they were in at the time. I do think... Like we've got most of the top ten to play away from home, so there is that element of it. But yeah, like I have no, yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I think for me, it's less about who we played yet and more about 
just the home away factor because I do feel that at home the fans oh, are we're a bit more of a fortress than we've been in years before. But away from home, some of these games are going to get away from us potentially. And like going to Chelsea away, that's going to be a big test. Um, me, I think we'll see what happens against Chelsea away. But that would, you know, if we put in a convincing, dominating kind of performance there, then then maybe I'd feel a bit more confident about the future away game because that's a tough place to go. Yeah, it is. But you, you know my thoughts on the home and away. I think the atmosphere is absolutely a big factor. But for me, it's it's the size of the pitch. It's the, the mm-hmm. way we play football and we, we split the... Maybe we should do an episode one because, like, you know how I nerd out on like positional play. Maybe let's do an episode one day on like explaining that. Um, but yeah, because I think it, like it took me many years to realize that each pitch has different width. Like, obviously, they're the same length, but the different pitches, some are larger yeah. and some are smaller, and some teams prefer to play on a smaller pitch at home. But I'm right? conscious that I talk about this framework quite a lot that people probably haven't heard of. It's just because I used to have a background of just like writing nerdy blogs on football Twitter and stuff, so that's where I've kind of learned it. But the home and away thing for me is because when we're at home, we split the pitch into like five lanes. And that's when I talk about the different zones and stuff and being able to do that at the Emirates. And yeah, it's it's the biggest picture. You can maximize every inch of it. And that's what Arteta talks about in terms of distances and zones and stuff. And that's what like at home, we're phenomenal because you know it to a T, you can practice it. When you go to these small grounds, you've got less of the pitch to maximize, right? Uh, so obviously atmosphere plays a huge part, but I, I think fundamentally it's the size of the pitch and being able to play our free-flowing football in distances is such a key factor that I think so many people overlook. I think something that Alex might find interesting, we talked about earlier in the show, is there was a graphic from, uh, I wish I knew the guy's name, is Crab something, isn't he? Um, oh yeah, the, oh that stats Crab that we were talking about. Yeah, I'm just trying to find the handle so I can post point him to it, but it's very... Um, yeah, oh, I found it. So this, yeah, so he's called Scott Willis, but it's, his oh. handle is, I'll put it in the chat. Um, I, I would I would definitely recommend everyone in the chat go look at it. So it's, I think it's Oh That Crab, but with underscores. And um, so Oh That Crab, Scott Willis, he put one up three hours ago saying, when Arsenal are at an even game state, they're an incredible team this year. When they're up a goal, not so much. And what you'll see in this graphic, which I think is really interesting, is it shows... Um, the Premier League goal and XG tiers based on like when it's a draw. And basically it's us and City like multiple tiers above the rest of the league. So that's why I think when we start games, we seem to be on the front foot, we bomb forward. But when you go to when we're plus one game state, suddenly like we're bloody mid-table. There's like, there's teams West Ham, Newcastle, Brighton, Villa, Brentford. There's all these other teams that like play better than us when they have a goal. Talking up. of talking of mid-table underlying metrics, did you see Bobby said uh, Emery to Villa? I did see about that. So, I, is that I official? I'm confused if he took it, but maybe he. Oh, is it a... not officially confirmed? No, Dave's. It's, it's up to him to decide. But imagine leaving a club where you've won the Europa for a team that probably could never qualify for conference, let alone Europa. Um, Yes, he'll get paid more, but the pressure will be insane. Like, you get sacked from a prem job like that easily. He could stay there and he's pretty much unsackable at where he is now. Is it Villarreal? Yeah, it's weird though, because he rejected Newcastle last year. And like, that's a more exciting So he said project. he rejected them because he felt that what the owners wanted to do, like, they didn't. He was like basically like they don't know football and what they want to do is like too ambitious like and I'm not taking the risk. <laughs> he must be looking at that and fucking regretting that. That's for sure. Um, but I can't. Like, why would you re- reject Newcastle and then take Villa? But 
If he does, he does. You know, we welcome him back. Good to luck to him. Yeah, luck. nothing against the guy. He, he wasn't good enough to take us forward, um, as as we're seeing, right? So yeah, yeah well, good luck to um, the guy. But well, let's let's get out of here. Uh, thank you to everyone who tuned in live. Good to see everyone as well. Um, we will put some timestamps in case you missed some of the beginning. You can go to specific parts and look at like the breakdown, the match summary, how we felt. Um, but yeah, I think going forwards, um, hopefully we bounce back from this. We learn from it. And we'll be back on Friday. Uh, we'll put a tweet out for the timings, probably just after lunchtime. And we'll do a quick preview of this game against Forest at the Emirates and probably look at what happened in the Europa League on Thursday for a couple of minutes too. Um, the, the Friday previews, they're normally only about, I'd say, 20 to 30 minutes max. So obviously, there's only a bit of shelf life before the match. So yeah, just before we do go, just yeah, is there anything you want to say? Yeah. yeah, just adding on to what you said, really. Like, obviously, a lot of this was quite not negative but like we're angry we're frustrated but it is important to see the perspective like we you can be disappointed at how we played and frustrated at the outcome but also acknowledge we have been phenomenal this year and there is nothing to be concerned about yet <laughs> like oh. let's go let's win the group on thursday let's go to forest put in a good performance and just one game at a time until the world cup but like we should be so proud of what we've achieved so far um but it's fine to kind of have those two emotions of disappointment, but also just being um, over the moon with how the season's gone so far. Because if you said to anyone, top of the tree coming into November, played 11, 28 points, City second, you'd take it, right? So yeah, yeah, as annoying as yesterday was, like, and I had arguments yesterday about this in terms of, yeah, the perspective's great, but like we did slip up. I think it is important to kind of acknowledge it. Definitely. All right. Well, as we always say, up the Arsenal. Up the Arsenal. Cheers, everyone. And we'll see you guys on Friday. Thank you.